Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 370, Sales Forecasting Basics with Lindsay Divin. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free at rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Lindsay Dibbon, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me today. It's great to have you here. Uh, Lindsay is a marketing professional serving the AEC industry for more than 15 years. She is the founder of Marketers Take Flight, an AEC industry specific marketing and business development training company. And she's also the creator of the Proposal Pro course. In her most recent position, she served as the marketing and business development director and a member of the board of directors for a 300 person AE firm. Uh, in this role, she was part of the executive team responsible for leading the firm's marketing and business development strategy. She was responsible for six market lines and a team of 16 sales and marketing professionals. Today, Lindsay is here to share her knowledge uh, on sales forecasting, on sales. That's one of those subjects that, you know, architects hear it and the hairs in the back of their necks stand up and, you know, they get these images of what salespeople are and they don't want to be that, right? And so 
slowly listeners of this podcast have shifted their mindset. So they definitely have a different mindset on sales. Uh, but we're not only going to be talking about sales today, we're going to be talking about sales forecasting. So how do we manage what's entering our pipeline for new projects? How can we predict the work that may be coming our way? How do we sort of grab a hold of that and understand it and leverage that for our success? That's what we want to talk about today with Lindsay, sort of talk about the basics of sales forecasting. But before we do that, we want to know more about you, Lindsay. Um, share your origin story. When did you discover your passion for what you do? What inspired you to do what you do? Uh, share the story, share the journey from that point to where you find yourself today. Yes. Yeah, so thanks, Mark, for again, for having me here You're today. Welcome. And um, I think I've, you know, I have a degree in marketing. Um, I kind of stumbled into this industry, this architecture engineering industry, like a lot of non-technical people kind of stumble in, the business services people, folks in our industry. And what I found was, even though I have a marketing degree, it was in business. So I've always been kind of like this dual analytical, creative type person. And in my first job in the industry, I was a marketing coordinator for an office. Um, and my boss was, my boss Joe at the time was like, we need to know what's going on. We need a tr something to track what proposals are going out the door and how I can budget, um, you know, of when we need to hire people or if we're going to have enough work for the people that we already have. And so we had no software. This was back in 2005. Um, so I came up, he had a spreadsheet and I scoured the internet and found some other templates and kind of self-taught myself <laughs> of some of the basics along with some input from my boss um, and some of the other marketers in the industry. And this, it, it's kind of followed me throughout my career of this Yes, I helped like lay out proposals and put together, you know, um, you know, beautiful proposals and presentations, but I always gravitated towards the analytics side of where our sales are coming from, how we're performing on our proposals, like how many are we winning? How many are we losing? Are there trends with the ones that we lose <laughs> and that kind of stuff. So it kind of just stayed through me as I grew my career and, and went to work with larger firms and have larger budgets. And, um, and the other part of it is I trained a lot of staff along the way, both marketing coordinators and architects and engineers. I taught them, kind of coached them how to sell, how to do business development. And that's where marketers take flight came came about in about 2012. I launched that as just a resource for the industry um, for marketing strategies, sales strategies um, to teach people in our industry because a lot of us aren't taught in school, the business side or the marketing side or the sales side, um, you know, when we're getting our architecture degrees. And so I wanted a place to, you know, to have people be able to access that. So Marketers Take Flight was born um, in 2012. And then two years ago, I started developing online courses and eBooks and, you know, it started out as a blog. Now we have the online courses and eBooks. And I, this year in 2020, I launched a podcast, the Marketers Take Flight podcast, um, just because a lot of people don't have time to read, but when you're taking a walk or you're driving in the car, you can listen and and you know, get some professional development. So that's kind of my origin. Yeah, I've always had this kind of dual interest of analytics as well as creativity. So I've kind of merged those to make 
analytics a little bit easier to digest um, and, and develop for people that aren't as, you know, aren't as good in it or, you know, it's just not their, in their wheelhouse. Yeah. Architects. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very creative. And so, um, I like to think that I, you know, I have a good balance of both sides of, you know, left brain, right brain. Yeah. Um, and that's why, I mean, that's why it's important for people, for us to have people like you, right? People who like that, who thrive on that, who thrive on numbers, thrive on spotting those trends, understanding how mm -hmm. to read those numbers. Um, marketers take flight is specific to AEC, uh, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's yes. for the, typically for the marketing people within the firms, right? Yes. It's, it's really geared to people who are new to either new to the industry, um, or are new to marketing. So maybe they're, they've been in the industry, but now they're taking on more of a marketing role or a business development role. And so it's kind of geared towards a lot of the entry level, either entry level industry or entry level to the role. Right, right. And, and it certainly would be useful for small firm architects because small firm architects are typically doing that role. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's really intended for the marketing professional within a firm, right? But it's, it certainly would be mm -hmm. helpful for our audience who are mostly small firms and sole practitioners to learn more about how to do that kind of work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do a lot of content around um, writing proposals, differentiating your firm and your proposals, highlighting you know your firm's expertise. So a lot of content around that. Yeah, and you have a course called the Proposal Pro course, right? That's, that focuses specifically on building proposals. Yes. Yes. Talk about it comes, that a little bit. What is that? Yeah. So it is, it's really geared for if you have to respond to RFPs. Mm -hmm. So if your client gives you some criteria or RFP and you have to put together a package, um, for that and it really goes through of, okay, how to organize that, how to, um, write, what kind of content do you put in that, um, to make, to make it compelling, to make it stand out, um, to truly, make sure that you're meeting the client's needs that they, that they want. Um, and then how to, you know, review the document to make sure it hits those selling points. Um, and so it's an online course. Um, it comes out once a year. So the 2020 course is closed um, at the time that this podcast comes out, but it'll be coming out again in 2021. And it's really for those, um, those folks that want a real comprehensive view of the entire proposal process. Um, and, um, so it's six modules plus some bonus modules. There's a, a bonus on graphics. And then I'm always adding more where I, one of the other bonuses is I actually review one of your proposals and give you customized feedback. Um, and so it's, it, the proposal pro course is really focused around making sure you're putting together winning proposals, um, for your firm. Yeah. And that's super important when you're dealing with RFPs because if all you're doing is responding to what's being requested, that's sort of the cost of entry, right? You, mm -hmm. you're, you're just mm -hmm. like everybody else if you're responding at the minimum. Right. What do you do to your proposal to stand out and be unique and be different right. than the other proposals that they're being reviewing, that they're reviewing? Yeah, and the first module dives into what you should be doing before you get the RFP with that client and how you can prepare for it before you even get the RFP too. So it takes you even before the RFP 
and then through the whole proposal production process. Yeah, very interesting. I mentioned that in your in your intro, and I just wanted to sort of dive a little bit deeper in that. But I wanted to talk more about sales forecasting. Mm-hmm. When we we had talked, we had talked prior to this podcast. Um, you and I just met and sort of compared notes and and did a little networking, and uh, and I learned about sales. You know what you do, and one of the things that you talk about is sales forecasting. And mm-hmm. can you, for us architects who <laughs> sort of are 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 gr- you're trying to get our hands around the idea of sales and what sales is, um, can you, at a really basic level, what is sales forecasting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sales forecasting is the ability to um, put down all in one place, all of your, the work that you think you're going to get, um, and see how much that is by dollar amount. And it's usually over a time scale. So you can see how much, how much, how many sales you're going to get next month, three months from now, six months from now. Um, and it's a little bit analytical because you're putting in dollars and cents, but it's a little bit, I say crystal ball because it is a forecast. You're you're kind of, you're putting down on paper your best guess. And as we all know that just because we respond to a proposal, A, we might not get the project or B, we think it might start next month, but it might be pushed out six months. So that's where the little, that's the crystal ball, but it's better. I liked a, a forecast is important because it really tells you where you're heading in your business in the future. So you usually have contracted backlog, like the projects you're already working on, but this tells you what is coming. Right. And so you can help prepare and do the business planning around that and make decisions around that of what is coming. Um, and so we'll get into some of the details of how to do that, but sales forecasting was really important to um, to do that business planning that so many of us need to do to make sure, you know, we have a firm in six right, months or right. a year. <laughs> and it's, and it's sort of a piece between your budget, right? Your, mm-hmm. your, your annual budget, your financial budget and your P and L, right? The P and L is mm-hmm. what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. These are the things that are actually the money that's coming in, the money that's going out. Your budget is what you have set up for the year. This is what you're planning. This is the money that you expect to come in for the year. Here's what you expect to spend for the year. And then there's a piece between as you're starting to move through the process of sales and marketing and you have a pipeline and you are doing your business development, you start adjusting what is real, right? That's sort Mm -hmm. of what you expect to be real, I guess, is more like what's real is your PL. Um, But a sales forecast is looking at what's potentially coming through your pipeline and documenting that in some way and then being able to spot trends and use that, right? Right, yes. And and um, I like using that and then comparing it to your budgeted, your right. budget. Yep. So you can see, okay, are you on track to make your budget? Um, are you, so that's good. Are you ahead <laughs> and do you need to make adjustments or are you trending behind? And so what do you need to do then? And so it's really a decision-making, um, you know, tool to, when you put together a sales forecast, it really gives you, allows you to make proactive decisions before 
everything's not on your PL. It's not, you know, right. the money is yeah. not coming in the door and you're, you're making reactive decisions, which are hard and sometimes, you know, difficult to make, you know, right. they're, those are, you know, you're making it more emotional than having proactive decision-making where you can plan out and be thoughtful about, about those decisions. Okay. And both are super important, right? Looking mm -hmm. at your forecast and understanding what's coming your way and what's happening in real time, especially exactly. now with the sort of uncertainty that we're living in with COVID and the economy mm -hmm. sort of not sure what it's doing. Uh, it's super important to be able to track what's coming and, and what's actually happening on a regular basis. So you can yes. make those adjustments, right? You can spot those trends that this is, we're, you know, this number is not hitting the number we expected this month. Oh, it didn't happen again this month. Oh, it didn't happen again this month. Mm -hmm. There's a trend. We need to make mm -hmm. a, sh a shift. We can't wait till the end of the year to look at what happened this year because it happened, right? You can't yeah. make those adjustments. We can't, <laughs> right. we can't be proactive in our business in order to adjust things, which we can adjust if we can see them, right? Mm -hmm. We can, mm -hmm. we can go out and get more work if we need to. We can let people go unfortunately or reduce our expenses in other ways if we need to mm -hmm. if we understand mm -hmm. what those trends are hey let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsor our cat if you're still on the fence about going to a trade show this year in person then how are you going to keep up with the latest and the greatest in architectural products right that's where you get that information well introducing our cat alert our cat alert you can get the scoop in this weekly newsletter. It's a free, like everything at RCAT, it's free and it's featuring leading manufacturers and their newest and best products every week. And since it's backed by RCAT, you know you can begin researching these products for free and without registration right there on the website. You can just click the link, it'll take you right to the RCAT website and you can start researching for free. And there's also RCAT Tech, get it? RCAT Tech, a curated newsletter of the most interesting architecture stories of the week, a separate newsletter called Architect. So it's like Ar architect, but with an A, Architect, 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 get it? It's a curated newsletter and it has the most interesting architecture stories of the week. You can check out both of these newsletters at Arcat.com slash Architect. So it's A-R-C-A-T-E-C-T, Arcat.com slash A-R- C-A-T-E-C-T. -E Please go visit RCAT today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So in sales forecasting, how do you do that? How do you know what's coming down the pipe? Yeah, so there's some basic information um, that should be tracked. If you want to do a sales forecast, there's there's not a lot of information you need to track, but there are some basic pieces of data. Um, the first is, you know, the projects, the, the potential RFPs, the potential projects that either you've heard about or you're already working on a proposal for, or you've submitted the proposal and you're waiting for a decision. All of those types of potential projects, I call them potential projects, go into your forecast. And so that's the first piece of data is, and a lot of times firms, um, they know about them, but it's in somebody's head or it's in somebody's email. And so the first step is getting all of those potential projects, no matter what stage they're in, um, on a list. So that's step one. 
And then another piece of data is some kind of expected revenue or sales um, that you expect. And this is kind of where the crystal ball comes in because sometimes if you've submitted the proposal, you know, cause you know what you, the number was you put on the proposal. Um, if it's kind of a future project and you don't even really know the scope yet, you're kind of doing your best guess at what you think that project might be worth. So you need some kind of estimated revenue or sales number, you know, firms track it, you know, they call that differently, but some kind of dollar amount of what you think this is going to be worth to your firm. And of course this number can change, you know, if you, if it's a project, you know, you think you're going to get submit the proposal next month. Well, that number will be an estimate this month and next month you'll update that number for what the proposal number was. Um, so that's the second piece of data. So first is, you know, the list of the projects, potential projects, some kind of dollar amount. And then the third piece of data is a date. Um, and this is where it allows you to do it over a time scale. You need some kind of date. And this date can represent different things. Um, it could be the date you submitted the proposal, the date you think you're going to get the contract, the date you think you're going to close the sale. Um, so you can decide that when you're putting together your forecast. I just recommend picking one type of date and sticking to it. And being for consistent consi for Being every consistent, project. yes. And so there's no really wrong answer. It's just more of a, let's just make sure it's consistent. So those are like the three minimum pieces of criteria to put together a forecast. Now, I do have some firms also decide to weight their forecast. And so this is where you can kind of start ask about that. Yeah, <laughs> you can start getting it's not mandatory, but I recommend it because you know, unfortunately, I have yet to work with a firm that has a 100% win rate. So we don't win every proposal right. we submit. So because of that, we don't want to if we don't want to overestimate our forecast, we want to be conservative in our forecast. So what some um, what I recommend is adding a probability or a likelihood of winning to your dollar amount. And so if you think the contract is, you know, $50,000 and you think you have a 50-50 shot at winning, you, you know, times 50, 50% times 50,000. So then your weighted estimated revenue is 25,000. And that's what goes into your forecast, into the um, what you're expecting. So, th so that, so the weighting is, is adjusting the dollar amount that you assign yes. to it. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it discounts. Some people use the word yep. discounts. Yep. Um, it discounts your expected revenue. Um, and, and so, and that probability can change, you know, as you, if it's, if it's a project you just heard about and you haven't even met with a client yet, or, you know, you haven't, you don't even know if you're going to get to a proposal stage, it might be lower. It might be, you know, 10% chance of winning, but it still goes into your forecast. Um, and, and that dollar amount will just be less. And then as you get closer, you know, a lot of times as you get closer to preparing the proposal or you find out some more information or you have a, you feel really good about your proposal, you can increase the probability. Um, and, and so to me, the probability is like your likely likeliness of winning. And, and then that adjusts the dollar amount. Um, and then I suggest it, it creates like a weighted or a discounted um, estimated revenue amount. And then that's usually what I'll put on the forecast graph to see, you know, or in the forecasted pipeline so we can see where we're at 
you know, month by month. Right. So you're not overestimating with a big project that has like a low likelihood of, of gain, gaining that project. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have those outliers, um, right. that uh, like, it's just, it, it's a, it's a way to be conservative too, right. um, and not overestimate exactly. Right. Because the list in number one, the list of potential projects is all of your potential projects. If yes. they're, if they, if you were going to pursue it, it is a potential project. And so it might be a, you know, big project that is unlikely that you'll get it. It might be too big for you or, or you don't know the client. And so that's a low likelihood. So you have your list, you have your expected revenue of what that project could bring into the firm. You assigned a date, whatever date you choose. Let's say it's a date for when you expect that, that project uh, proposal to be signed. Let's just pick mm -hmm. that date to be consistent mm -hmm. or whatever date you choose. And then the likelihood of winning is optional, but I would highly recommend that in order to have some sort of weighting mm -hmm. uh, on these potential projects. So a, a potential project that's unlikely to get is still there, but it's it's a lower number that it affects the dollar amount that you are now working toward, right? You can because ultimately, what's the next step once you once you've created these four pieces and you have this data? What do you do with it? Yeah, so um, I can. What's great about those four pieces of data, which are typically pretty easy to put together, um, is you know you want to then determine how you want to look at it. And so, you know, this is in, includes maybe the frequency. Um, do you want to, you know, pull this report and look at it monthly and to see what's coming up in the next six months um, and, and graph it? Um, and you can use a software as simple as Excel. We all have Excel. <laughs> and yeah. you don't need a sophisticated CRM or software system. I mean, there are those, but most firms don't even need those. Excel. Um, you know, firms large and small, you still rely on Excel to put together these forecasts. Yeah, if all, if all you're doing are these four data points, mm -hmm. easy to do it in Excel or- Oh, absolutely. It's just yeah. a spreadsheet. Yeah, and so you can use the, the graphing functions to put together a line graph to show each month of, you know, what expected revenue you have, what weighted expected revenue you have, and then have another line for your budget line of what, you know, if you're putting together a revenue budget um, by month or by quarter, you know, I just, however you're doing your other financials, like your P&L and your budgets, I would say do this forecast kind of the same frequency or cadence. Now, of course, now 2020 has been different. I see a lot of people pulling their forecasts and looking at them every week because every week is so different right, <laughs> in 2020. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but a lot of times a good cadence to start is monthly yeah. and to look at forward, you know, the next month or the next six months. A lot of firms like to look at rolling 12. It just depends on the sales cycle of your, of your particular firm and your projects um, of what your cadence was is going to be, but really looking at that graph and saying, and comparing it to your budget or your goals, you know, for what you have. And are you, you know, is your forecast trending above that goal, below that goal? And then in, you know, depending on it, how, how it's trending or how it's looking, you can dig more into the potential projects and say, okay, well, we might have enough potential projects, but how can we increase the probability of winning? What can we do to, you know, to make sure that we win this project or, okay, well, our probabilities are pretty good, 
um, we just don't have enough projects. So we need to go and find more projects. What can we do? We need to put together our marketing strategy or our marketing campaign to do that. Um, and so it really helps you make those decisions. Like it really guides you in what you should do next. And from, you know, and this is where I put on my marketing hat, you know, architects would come to me and we were like, Oh, we need to do this, you know, mailing piece. And I'd be like, well, why? you know, let's go back to the forecast. Let's go back to our um, strategies, our business development strategies, and tell me what this is going to support. And especially when I had the different market lines, you know, our education group where they were way above forecast. So I'm like, we're not going to, you know, we're just going to kind of maintain status quo. We're not going to do any outreach campaigns or brand, you know, to get more leads in that one yet. But, you know, manufacturing over here is struggling. So we're going to, focus our, you know, limited marketing resources, dollars, you know, on the areas that are, are struggling. So it's just a decision. It helps you make a decision on where to spend your limited time <laughs> and resources when it comes to marketing or business development, you know, reaching out to your network and who to reach out to and when to start doing that. And it allows you to do it before you need to, <laughs> because right. if you can see six months out and you can say, okay, well in June, we were starting to dip a little bit. So let me go start working on some stuff now, you know, five months in advance instead of waiting until June. And we look at our P and L for June and we're like, oh, we didn't make our numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing you can do then. Right. You can't turn back time. And, and, and I highly recommend monthly to, yes. to our community because and and the more uncertainty there is in our economy, the more you need to look at it, right? Because mm -hmm. you, because Absolutely. it's so bumpy. This economy goes up and down, and like one week it's like, you know, it looks like it's going to be okay, and then the next week it's like, oh, this is not good, and then the next day it's like up again. And 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 I'm not saying that you should like hover over it and and you know uh, and just sort of uh, you know live looking at the numbers, but you need to do it like like Lindsay said have a cadence and I recommend monthly because mm -hmm. that's important to be able to make those decisions on a timely manner. If you wait quarterly, you've just waited three months to make a decision you could have made two months ago. Mm -hmm. um, if you mm -hmm. do it every month, then you can say, you can start seeing those monthly trends and be able to make those adjustments. The other thing I, I found really interesting in what you just said, Lindsay, was that there are two pieces that, that you have power over, right? You have the revenue and you have the waiting. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when you are looking at these numbers and you say, oh, I these numbers are not where we want them to be. You have two options. You can either go get more work, right, to bring more uh, potential projects into the pipeline, have more numbers there, higher revenue, maybe. Um, or you can look at the waiting and say, oh, that's a project that's got low probability. But if we work at it, right, if we if we make a connection here and we know somebody there and we. Uh, show them a, a little bit more work and we hustle a little bit, that probability may be able to go increase, which will increase the number in your forecast. So you mm -hmm. don't necessarily have to go get more work. You might just need to work harder on the potential projects that you have to get the probability of uh, getting those projects to be higher. And so you have options there. Another mm -hmm. reason for doing this, right? To, mm -hmm. be, mm -hmm. to have these numbers, to be able to track them uh, and to be able to understand how to read them, which is the most important piece is, well, it's just equally as important as mm -hmm. collecting the numbers is to understand what they mean and to do something with them. Yes. Yeah. Use yeah. them at, to guide your decision making or 
your priorities of where you're going to spend your limited time, your li- especially limited time re- related to business development and sales. Yeah. And, and so that it gives you a clearer picture. And I'm a big advocate of let's look at the projects in our pipeline now. And those ones that we really think we have a good shot of winning, let's focus our energies on those. I call those like, especially the larger ones that are like the needle movers. And if you just increase that probability 10 or 15%, that gets you right back up to your budget number or above your budget number. So if one drops off, you know, you don't win one, you know, it's not, it's not a detriment to the firm. And so I like to focus on those, those needle movers is what I call them. Those big ones that if we just focused a little bit more time and attention, they're going to be a really big win for, for our firm. Yeah. And, and then back to the frequency. I, when you were talking about that, I, you know, monthly is really good. That's a good starting place because it's, you know, it's doable. I think for most people to take a look at it. Um, the other time I look at them too, is if we do have a really big win or a really big loss, we kind of recalibrate and relook at the forecast and kind of reshift our priorities about what's remaining in the pipeline. Um, that's, that's another time it's unfortunate. I, and people do it sometimes when they have big losses, but they don't necessarily do it when they have big wins and two. And so if you have, you know, one of those needle movers that you just won, how does your capacity look to make sure that you can focus on bringing in the other ones? So, yeah. And, yeah. and do you need to, you know, have them all come in at the same time? You know, do you need to focus more on dates then and what you need to do, you know, months out versus right now? Right. So you have control over that, that data point as well. The date, it, you know, it's, it's in your control when mm-hmm. you sign that contract, right? So if you're planning mm-hmm. to sign the contract in April, but you have too much work. And if you sign that project in April, it's not going to be so good because you'll have too much work and not enough people to do it. Maybe you can push it out and move that date to June and have a little bit of work uh, in the summer months when maybe you're not as busy. Exactly. So you have exactly. you have ways to adjust all these numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I, that I've done is I've color coded some of my, I, and I've never done the weighting to dollars, which is really interesting. Oh, okay. uh, but I've, I've done, um, colors to s- like red, yellow, green, like this mm-hmm. is what I'm definitely going to get or very okay. high likelihood. Mm-hmm. This one, you know, I think I'm going to get it. So maybe it's yellow. These red ones are in the, in the bucket, but you know, probably not going to get them. And then a very quick look at the, at the data point, you know, even before the chart, I could look at the data and say, there's a bunch of green stuff. So it looks really good bunch of red stuff. I'm going to have to do a little extra work. It's, it's not decision-making tools. It's just sort of, you know, a quick analysis of your list. Like a visual representation. Yeah, you yeah. can quickly visually see. Yeah. I One like those that. architect things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, um, maybe on my forecast. So I, I, I did put together an Excel forecast template for your listeners. Oh, great. Um, I did not add any color coding, but maybe I could do it by probability. There is a probability field. And so maybe if it's like over 80%, it could be green and yeah. you know, you could add some color formatting there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about the weighting is that maybe we can tie colors to the weighting. And then that way you, you can very quickly see which ones are the most likely and you can very more efficiently Mm-hmm. Uh, pick out the ones that you won't have to actually look at each number to see what it is. You can just pick out the green ones. All right. I'm noting that right now. Add <laughs> some more visual appeal. To... So how do, how do we get that uh, spreadsheet? 
Yeah. So I put together a sales forecasting starter kit. Um, cause I am all about like, let's learn about it, but then yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's take action. Um, and so you can find that over at marketers take forward slash sales forecast and right. sales forecast is all one word. All one word. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Lindsay, before we, this is actually, before we wrap up, before I even give mm -hmm. you the, the final question, um, is there anything else that we need to know? Because you gave us a lot of information here. Yes. It's definitely, we can <laughs> we can take this information, we can go do this right now. Uh, but is there anything else that we're missing that we should be focused on? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about looking at it monthly and, and, and what it can tell you. There is some maintenance to it monthly. So, you know, it, there we talked about, you know, the kind of the key elements you need yeah. to get started. But then each month you're going to want to go into your forecast and do what I call actualize it and just take off the forecast of the ones that you've actually booked. So if you've um, signed some new contracts and they were on your forecast, well, now they're showing up on your P&L. So let's move them off of your forecast. Yep. And that way you just kind of shore up or actualize each month. So there is a little bit of maintenance to it. And, you know, each month before you're going to go look at it, that's when I would do the, the actualization, take off those contracts that you, that were booked or if some moved out or if some probabilities changed, or more were added, just doing that on a monthly basis as well. Hopefully you're adding them throughout the month as you hear about them, but definitely before you look at kind of the graph and see in the color coding and see where you're at to do that that maintenance of the forecast. So that's just the last part. Yeah. Is, Which is important it, It's yes. <laughs> because once the projects become contracts, they're no longer par part of your forecast, they're actually part of your financial management Mm -hmm. uh, and they become part of your PL. They'll, they'll show up as part of your revenue, um, mm -hmm. and so they no longer are uh, on your on your uh, forecast. Right, right. So you don't want to make sure, and you want to take them off so you're not double counting them. Right, right. Yeah. Basically. All right, we'll do that. And and this is this is not that difficult, right? It's it's just sort of uh, you have all this data already. It's, mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of putting it into a, a and and Lindsay's giving us the spreadsheet here to do it. So it's marketerstakeflight.com/salesforecast. You can download that you can, and you can just take the data that you already have, plug it in and go do it. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. super valuable. It, it, it already has the pivot tables and the graphs and everything. So outstanding. Outstanding. Excellent. Um, the architects are like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's ask the final question here, Lindsay. Um, what is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? And it might be obvious at this point, but what, what would you say to that question? Yeah, it's going to be pretty obvious. I think the first thing is to get all of your potential projects down on paper. Um, you know, you can use the Excel spreadsheet. I'm, you know, you can go download that, but somewhere, because what I find is that some, the potential projects are in people's heads or in their emails or their, you know, a voice message or a text message from a client, but getting it all down in one place is really the first step. So you can really see how much you potential work you really have and what of it is kind of real or really real or immediately going to become real. So that's the first step is just getting it all into one place. Right. And it's all those potential projects, even mm -hmm. the ones you think you may not get, right? Mm -hmm. If they have any yes. possibility of getting them, 
uh, they go on the list because then you mm -hmm. wake them in order to to adjust. Lindsay, this has been super interesting and motivating. And I and I think a lot of people when they heard sales and sales forecasting, they're like, mm, I'm not sure I'm going to even listen to this, <laughs> right? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get a little nervous around numbers. This has been super interesting and and uh, enlightening. I think it's something that we can all do. And so, uh, marketerstakeflight.com slash sales forecast uh, is where you can get the free starter kit. Uh, her name is Lindsay Diven, D-I-V-E-N. If you're looking her up, we'll have links to marketerstakeflight.com on the um, show notes as well. She's on social media everywhere. You can look her up as Lindsay Diven or Marketers Take Flight. We'll have links to all that on the show notes as well. Lindsay, this has been super interesting, very, very informative. I appreciate you for coming on the Entree Architect podcast and sharing your knowledge today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. You are listening to episode 370. If you'd like to access the show notes or share this episode with a friend, the link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 370. And that is how you can spread the word about what we're doing here at Entree Architect. And the more architects who know what we're doing here at Entree Architect, the better things will be for you, the small firm architect, right? Because the more people who know what we're doing, the bigger we can grow, the more resources we can have, and the more we can provide to you to be more successful. So just share this episode. That's all I ask, right? Simple. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 370. Send it to somebody who doesn't know what we're doing here at Entree Architect. Entree Architect Podcast is proud to be a partner of the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet. Have you been to Gable Media yet? You need to go check out GableMedia.com. There are a half a dozen podcasts over there, more than a half a dozen podcasts over there. And we have a brand new podcast with Patrick McLamey. Yes, Patrick McLamey, the former CEO of HOK. He has his own podcast. We helped him build it on Gable Media and I'm a host. So go check it out at Gable Media. It's called Build Smart, and you can check it out right now at gablemedia.com, G-A-B-L-media.com, G-A-B-L-media.com. Go there and subscribe to all the shows, and go check out Build Smart with Patrick McLamey. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. We have ready-to-edit business resources. Templates, ready there, ready to edit. Use them today. Over 50 of them, they're there waiting for you as a member. Live monthly training. Every month, we invite an expert to come in and join us and train us on a specific topic, a subject of business, and have live Q&A. You can ask them questions, they'll answer. And we have a supportive architect community on Slack, separate from Facebook. You ask a question, they'll answer that question. It's much more intimate, much more private than Facebook. If you don't like Facebook, this is where you want to be. And now... Simple Systems, our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects. We just released Simple System number three. It's a drawing addendum and release system, and it includes ready-to-edit documents, a template for a drawing list, an addendum bulletin cover sheet, and the often requested drawing release agreement. Yes, a drawing release agreement. When you want to provide your drawings to a client or a contractor or a consultant, this is a document that will protect your liability. Um, yes, you have to have your attorney check it out. Yes, you have to have your insurance check it out. Entree Architect is not a law firm. I am not an attorney. You need to have these documents checked by the people who know what they're looking at. But this is a document that will start you with a drawing release agreement 
the addendum bullet, uh, the addendum slash bulletin cover sheet, and the drawing list. So you have everything you need, and it's available right now for purchase. You can buy it right now. This system, simple system number three, is available for purchase until Friday, April 16th. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash simple systems. But here's a tip. If you're a member of Entree Architect Academy, Simple Systems is free. Yes, they're all free. This system and every other system that we have and will develop is free to members. Simple Systems are built for small firm architects and they're always free for members. Ready to edit business resources, live monthly training, a supportive Entree Architect community, and Simple Systems. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership. Learn more about membership at entrearchitect.com slash join. Go check it out. I think you'll like it. entrearchitect.com slash join. We're waiting for you. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thanks for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. See you next week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. 
It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.